Well, good morning to all of you, and it's good to be back again, and I, uh, it's so good to see all of you. And I know that although that they were thin on the ground this morning, but uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, it's always good to be back uh, to, to, as the church to worship God together. So this, for this morning, uh, we, we're going to pick up on our study on the series of sermons which I've been doing uh, since last year on agape love. Uh, if you remember that uh, we have seen that uh, in, through, through our last sermon, uh, that how that agape, the concept of agape love, you know, uh, has crossed from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Because a lot of people seem to think that uh, agape love is a, a, a New Testament teaching, you know, by Jesus, that uh, Jesus taught agape love, but it's not in the Old Testament. But it is not really true because we have seen from our last lesson before already that how that uh, God, the God of love has always worked on the same principles of love. Whether it was in the Old Testament under Moses' law, or whether it's in the New Testament under Christ. So everything is all the same. The principles of love has always been the same. So it is actually an erroneous assumption, a wrong assumption to say that, oh, the God of the Old Testament is not the God of love, unlike the New Testament. No. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. He is the God of love, has always been so, and He will always be so. So what we're going to do this morning is going to be a, an interesting exercise which we're going to do is to consider this crossover from the Old Testament, Moses' law, into Christ's law on, on the concept of love itself. What I want to do is to make a comparison between the two sets of laws, two sets of commandments. You know, that we know that uh, the greatest commandment, the great commandments of Moses' law is based on love, isn't it? The first one being, love God with all your heart and strength, with all your might. The second being, love your neighbor as yourself. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the second of the great commandment today and compare it with the new commandment of Jesus, which, which we will look at here. Uh, the, 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 the passage is, is actually written in your notes there for you. Uh, the, the, the second great commandment is taken from Leviticus 19, verse 18, where the scripture says this. Moses' law said, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you or thou shall love your neighbor as yourself or as thyself, as the King James Version uses it. Uh, I am the Lord. Okay? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the great commandment. Okay? So let's see what Jesus said in the New Testament. In John 13, 34 and 35, this is what Jesus said. He said that a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so jesus said love one another as i have loved you okay so my question to you is this how many of you here today think that these two commandments are different show of hands don't worry don't worry if you get it wrong you know that uh, don't worry get it right don't worry get it wrong how many of you think that these two commandments are different. Put up your hand. Okay, Karis. Anybody else? Paul. Anybody else? Anybody else think that the two commandments are different? Oh, Kira. Okay. Not to worry. Not, 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 don't, don't, don't be shy about it. Not to worry. Okay. Okay, some of you think that the, the two commandments are different. Now, let's see the differences, yeah? Let's, uh, let's analyze the key differences between these two sets of commandments. Okay, firstly, number one, Moses' law, the great commandment says that uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or the King James Version is more accurate in the pronouns, you see? It's thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself. The thou, so if you read, ever read the King James Version, that thou is in the singular. Yeah, it means you in the singular. The ye or the you in the King James Version is the plural. So that's how the King James Version distinguishes the, the, the pronouns. So according to the King James Version, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself is in the singular. But when we look at the new commandment, Jesus said, you know, that uh, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, or the King James Version, version uses, ye love one another in the plural. So here we are, we have. Moses' law saying that it's a singular. Christ's law commandment says that it's plural. So that's the first, dif the, the first difference, isn't it? There's a difference in that sense. So the second, the second point that, that we can see is that the Greek commandment says that thou shalt love thy neighbor 
where Jesus says, you love one another. So one is the neighbor, one is the other. So you, thou shalt love thy neighbor is a one-sided thing, isn't it? I love my neighbor is one direction. Uh, not in a pop group in a sense, but there is one direction that I love my neighbor. Where Jesus said that ye shall love one another. That is reciprocal, it's mutual. So there is a two-way flow and this is a one-way flow. So this is the second difference we see. The third difference is there. He said that Moses said that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself or as yourself. That means that it is an inward focus. Then a Jew would say that I love my neighbor the way I love myself. While Jesus in the New Commandment says that love one another as I have loved you. So instead of focusing on yourself, you are focusing on the love of Christ. So that's the difference, isn't it? Yeah? So there are differences. There are three, at least three differences in, this, in these two sets of commandments there. But what I'd like us to do today is to explore these two commandments, which you will see, that although that they may look different on the face of it, but essentially, actually, the two commandments are the same. They are the same commandments. Okay, let's, 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 let's analyze it. So if you remember, first of all, uh, principles of interpretation are very important. How we understand the scripture, how we interpret scriptures. So we, if you remember, in the previous lessons and sermons I have done over the years, that when we look at the law of Moses, for example, a lot of people approach the law of Moses as if that Moses' law is very legalistic. Oh, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do that, isn't it? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, it's all laws in a legalistic sense. But we know that from our previous studies, that God's original design of Moses' law was not that Moses' law should be read legalistically. We shouldn't be looking at Moses' law as the thou shalt and thou shalt not. That's not the way God wants, wanted Israel to understand his law. God wanted Israel to understand Moses' law as principles. When I say principles, it means that, yes, the word says this, but what it actually means behind it. Principles. Principles can be applied very in a very different way. For example, uh, thou shalt not murder. It's a great example of it. So on the face of the word murder, we know that it's the act of killing somebody, isn't it? With, with intent. You want to kill somebody with your intention, you are a murderer. But if you remember how Jesus interpreted that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus said that, yes, it has been said, oh, that you shall not kill or you shall not murder. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause is a murderer. You see? So in other words, Jesus was not looking at the word murder in, a, in the physical sense of the act of killing somebody, but rather that it's a matter of the heart. You see? So if you are angry with somebody for no reason, no good reason, the scripture is saying that you are like a murderer. So in other words, that's how Moses' law is meant to be read. Principles. You see? Another example is that thou shalt not last. You know, that, uh, they, the, the way the Jews understood that commandment is that, oh, I must, I must not basically, you know, uh, or rather commit adultery, so commit the adultery. You know, that you should not commit adultery. It means that it's the act of committing adultery. But Jesus said that if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart and commit adultery with her, you, 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 you break that law. So again, it's a matter of heart. It's principles. So that's how Moses' law is meant to, be, uh, uh, meant to be understood. So we need to bear this in mind when we look at the great commandment as well. You, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Yes, that's what the words, wording says. But what are the principles behind it? So we need to extract the principles in order to understand God's purpose and design and application of the passage. So this is where we will we'll begin looking at this morning. Let's look at the first word, love. Uh, the, the first word of the, of the great commandment under Moses' law is love. Thou shalt love. So uh, when it comes to the word love, in the Old Testament, it's quite interesting. You know that in the Old Testament, unlike the New Testament, in the New Testament, there, there are different words that can be translated as love. Different Greek words. You've got agape, which is the one we're looking at. You've got philios, which is you know, philos, uh, uh, philanthropy, for example. It means friendly, uh, friendly affection. So you've got agape, you've got philios. So you've got different words can be translated as, as love. 
But in the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, generally there's only one word translated as love, which is the word ahab there, which you find in your notes. And this is the standard word that they use uh, in the English translation as love. And this word has got various shades of meaning, different meanings to it. So you need to read the context carefully to determine which is the meaning. You know that it has been used uh, to refer to sexual love, a lust. For example, in 2 Samuel 13 verse 4, you know, where Amon, the, uh, the, 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 the son of David, he loved Tama, his half-sister. In other words, he's not like loving her in the sense of romantic love, but rather that he lusted after her. So that's the same word Ahab being, being used there. Or it has also been used in the case of Jonathan and David, the two good friends, the best friends of the Bible. In 1 Samuel 18 verse 1, where Sam, Jonathan loved David. You see? Or it can be also used to refer to something where you have an emotional attachment to. For example, the love of food. You know, in, in Genesis 27 verse 4, where Jacob said that, you know, I love the stew yeah, that, that uh, his, his son Esau cooked. It can also be used to refer to love in the family, in a family love. So this word in the Hebrew language, Ahab, is, has got various colors to it. So you need to determine from, from the context which color it fits into the context, you see? And it's translated as love. But there is also one aspect of this word which has been used in the Old Testament, which is like agape in the New Testament. Yeah, that, that refers to the love of God, the ahab of God, which is the love of God, the agape love of God. For example, in Jan Jeremiah 31, you know that Jeremiah 31, uh, where, where, where the scripture says this, in verse 1, down to verse 3, where the scripture says, at the, at the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel. When I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, He says this, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. So here that the Lord speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, you know, during the times where the kingdom of Judah was basically uh, very near to the, 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 the Babylonian captivity, because we know the history of the kingdom, and you, you follow the series, you know that, the kingdom of Judah was very evil and wicked. So eventually God has to send the Babylonians in, destroy Jerusalem, bring all the Jews out of Jerusalem, or most of them away into, into foreign land, into Babylon. So, and God assured Jeremiah, he said that although that these things happened, you see that the, the, the pagan Jerusalem, uh, uh, the Babylonians came and subdued my people, because they were wicked and evil and they were, they were stubborn and refused to repent. But yet, I love them. I love you with an everlasting love. So the idea of an everlasting love what, is that God is saying that no matter what Israel have done to, has done to me, I still love Israel as my family and my people. And my love for Israel is everlasting. It's as enduring as God himself is. So this, this, this is the picture of agape love in the Old Testament that is actually painted from this Hebrew word ahab there. So you see now, in the Old Testament, we have the word love which is agape-like, in a, you know, a reflection of the New Testament love. So now that since that this is the notion that we know from the Old Testament, that when it speaks of love coming from God, it was referring to agape, then what we can do is that we can understand this Old Testament concept of love like, uh, like, like, like the agape principle itself. And this is where we find the application of the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself in the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 gives us the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure you heard of the story of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? You know that, uh, you know that this, this, this Jewish man was walking and then uh, you know how way somewhere he got ambushed by a bunch of robbers they dropped him, they stripped him naked, they beat him up very badly. And then there was a priest who walked past, looked at him. The, priest, the Jewish priest decided not to, not to dabble with him and just walked on. And then a Levite came along. The Levite looked at him. The Levite walked on. And then there was a Samaritan who came along, saw this Jewish man lying on the floor. He had a lot of compassion for him. He took him, 
to the, to the inn, the hotel, you know, washed his wounds, put him on his donkey, brought him to the hotel to, for, for him to rest, and he told the, the, the owner of the hotel that, well, uh, here's some money, yeah, let him stay here, take care of him. If anything else I owe, that he owes you, I will come back and pay, uh, pay, pay for, uh, reimburse you. So, you know, that was the story behind the, the Good Samaritan itself. But the, the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan was not just simply told for no reasons. It was told for a reason. This was actually it, uh, you know, in a conversation between Jesus and a scribe, or you call a lawyer. I mean, so somebody who was an expert in Moses' law, talking to Jesus about the great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. So in Luke 10 verse 29, uh, this was the conversation. This part was a part of the conversation that prompted the parable, where the scripture in verse twenty-nine of Luke ten says, "But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor?'" So that was the question being asked by the scribe to Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" And if you notice the passage yourself, that what Luke tells us is that the scribe wanted to justify himself. In other words, that Jesus. Jesus asked him the question that, you know, uh, what is the great commandments? And he said, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, yeah, but who is my neighbor? So in other words, what the lawyer was, or the scribe was thinking in his mind was that, okay, uh, I know the commandment to love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? In other words, what he was trying to do was to justify himself in the sense that he's, he was implying that, well, uh, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, uh, I've, been, I've been practicing this commandment since I was young. I've always been good towards my Jewish neighbor. Is there any other neighbors that I have not been good to or love? I think that was what he was trying to imply, that the scribe was trying to imply. And this prompted the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So in other words, Jesus was telling him that yes, there was another neighbor that you missed out. You see? And we know that at the end of it, you know, of the parable itself, that the neighbor that Jesus was highlighting to the scribe was the Samaritan. Isn't it? The Good Samaritan. And we know also that from the New Testament that the Samaritans were the arch enemies of the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them so much, you know, uh, and for very uh, for for some reasons that they hated them, which we're not going to talk about here. But the point of the parable is that Jesus is saying that the Samaritan was a neighbor under Moses' law, even though that he was your arch enemy. You see, so. That is the general understanding of the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, oh, well, I want to say, okay, the parable says that the neighbor is the Good Samaritan. But my question is this, that is this just what this parable is teaching us about the Great Commandment? That the neighbor is an enemy. I, I, my, 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 my reading of the passage of the parable is this. I think that the parable teaches more than just the message that your enemy is your neighbor. I think it teaches more than that uh, to, the, to the scribe. If you look at the conversation on the, you know, that leads to the parable very carefully, you see that the, the scribe's question was, who is my neighbor? Yeah? That was, the question was asked in the context of the great commandment, love your neighbor. So what it means to me when, 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 we, when I read the passage is this, that to this scribe, yeah, the great commandment to love his neighbor he was focusing on the word neighbor. That was the scribe's focus. He was focusing on what we call the identity of his neighbor. That's why he asked, who is my neighbor? Who is the identity of the person who is my neighbor? So what it means is that to the scribe, who is Jewish, I think that what he was, th what he was thinking was this. If that person is, was Jewish, then he is my neighbor. You see? That's how the Jews were thinking. And therefore, the second commandment says, I love him because he's my Jewish neighbor. You see? That was how the Jews were thinking all the time, you see? The neighbor is Jewish. If he's Jewish, he's my neighbor. And we know that this is how the Jews have uh, been thinking. From, from the Sermon on the Mount, we know that. In, in Matthew 5, uh, verse 43. Because in Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus was discussing the tradition of the elders. And how Jesus, you know, uh, we, we will look at uh, later on, very shortly as well, you know, and that, that, that tradition that the elders of the Jews reflected that Jewish thinking. They only treat fellow Jews as neighbors and everyone else as enemies. You see, that's what we talk about very shortly. You see? 
So he was focusing on the identity first. Okay, in order for me to fulfill the commandment to love my neighbor, first of all, I need to know who is my neighbor. If he's Jewish, he's my neighbor, I love him. If he's not Jewish, he's not my neighbor, and I don't love him. So that's how he was thinking. You see? But that was not how Jesus understood the great commandment. Luke 10, 36 gives us an indication how Jesus was looking at the great commandment. Luke 10, 36, where Jesus asked the, asked the scribe, at the end, after the parable, he asked the scribe, he said, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? What was interesting in this question as I was thinking about this is this. Jesus did not ask the scribe who was the neighbor. You see? But he asked the question, who was neighbor to him, to the victim? You see? So what this question meant was that Jesus was not focusing on the identity of who but Jesus was focusing on the action of love in the Great Commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Jewish focus is always on the word neighbor. Jesus' focus is not on the word neighbor, focus on love, the action of love. And that, that's why he asked the question, who was neighbor to him, the victim? How do we know that this was uh, the focus of our Lord himself? We know that this is the focus because the scribe's answer reveals it for us. The scribe's own answer in verse 37. In verse 37 of Luke 10, the scribe said this, He who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So if you notice here, that the scribe's answer now was no longer based on the identity, that he has to be Jewish before he's a neighbor. Isn't it? Because in the parable, there were two Jewish persons there, the Levite and the priest. But the, 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 now the scribe was not thinking about the Levite and the priest, the Jewish characters there. He was looking at the Samaritan. Originally, to him, any Jewish person was a neighbor. But now, as he followed the parable and the thinking of the parable, the scribe no longer thought that the priest and the Levite were neighbors to the, to the guy the Jewish guy. So, to them, the identities of the, uh, the two of them would no longer fit the definition of the commandment, to love your neighbor. But for this scribe, he, had, he still had difficulty because the other person who helped the Jewish guy was Samaritan. So he had this problem because the Samaritans were the Jewish, the Jewish enemies. So he found it hard to accept that to say that, yes, the Samaritan is the neighbor. He didn't say that, isn't it? Instead, what did, the, what did he say? He said that he who showed mercy on him. A very interesting statement. Very interesting. I found it very, very enlightening. Instead of saying, simply saying Samaritan, he was reluctant to say it because he, didn't, he, he, he doesn't like the word Samaritan coming up on his own mouth, being Jewish. So he, instead, he said that he who showed mercy on him, which Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Yeah? Very interesting. So from this answer itself, you can see the dramatic shift of focus on this scribe's mind, on this great commandment, from who is my neighbor, looking at the identity of the person first, to him who show, or he who show mercy on him, turning his attention on the action of love, which Jesus agreed to him. So the parable is very eye-opening, the, the, the discussion here is very, very eye-opening. And it reveals to us the principles to this great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about the identity of the Jew's neighbor. It's on the action of love. He who showed mercy. You see? The Jews have always had this misconception about the great commandment as applicable only to their Jewish neighbors. Always focus on the ID of the person. You see, Jewish? He's Jewish, he's my neighbor. Non-Jewish, no. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Look at the action first. Yeah? And that is how you identify it. And this is where that Jesus is very consistent in it. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon of the Mount, which I was telling you earlier, you see how Jesus applied the, the second great commandment. Uh, Matthew 5, 43. Where Jesus said, You have heard it was said 
You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the teaching of the tradition of the elders. Okay? They perverted the teaching of the, of the great commandment. Love your en- neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you so greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore be, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So our Lord's teaching on the great commandment extends the thinking and the principle to just not focusing on the identity, but the act of love. To Jesus, the great commandment is about the act of love, not who is my neighbor. How do we know that? The words of the Lord himself, he said, Bless those, isn't it? Do good to those. Pray for those. All these are acts of love. Really? Then, of course, that prompts the question, Okay, I should do good, I should bless, I should pray for those. But why? Why do I do that under the great commandment? The answer is simply because, number one, the other person is valuable to God. There is a value. And number two, there is a need. Okay, so these are the key words there. Not identity, but value and needs. So Jesus focuses on the application of the great commandment. This is how he says, the great commandment's application you see in God himself. How God applies it. God's act of love is indiscriminate. He causes his son to rise on the good and the evil. He gets his rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. So God is indiscriminate in his blessings, in his act of love. Why did God do that? The answer is not because of the identity. The answer is because of the value of the person. God loves and he sees value in every one of us and hence his providence falls on all of us. The good, the bad and the ugly. And God does that because he sees it as the needs of humanity. God values us and he knows that we have needs. And these needs are, are good to be met by love and he acted on it. That's, that's how the, the great commandment is to be applied and understood. Needs, value and needs. But of course someone might say that, well, uh, well this great commandment was addressed contextually in, in the context of Leviticus 19 uh, to Israel by Moses. It, it was about neighbors to, to, to Israel but not about the enemies. But is that the case? Is that how Moses' law in Leviticus was about? Just for the Jews? Let's, let's think about this. Okay, let's think about this. On the context of Leviticus 19. Again, I revisit uh, the, the passage in Leviticus 19 verse 18 again, where the context says this. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I am the Lord. Yes, the context tells us that God was speaking to Israel through Moses, and that Mo, uh, Moses tells Israel that they are to love their neighbors, yes, their fellow, fellow, fellow Israelites, the Hebrews. But that, that is not just that itself, you see. But if you read from verses 9 in Leviticus 19 down to verse 17, which provides you with the immediate context to it, which we are not going to read through today, you will find that between the verses 9 to 17, just before Moses laid down the great commandment, these, these passages here, these, these verses there, provides us actually with a long list of examples of how an Israelite was to out of love, you know, for his neighbor as he would do it for himself. For example, that this passage tells you that, you know, that when it comes to the harvest time, you know, in those days, the agricultural harvest, the Moses law says that, you know, that when you harvest your fields, do not harvest everything, leave some gleanings, I mean, leave some in the corners, unharvested, untouched, so that those, those, those who are in need can come and help themselves to it and have, have some food to eat as well. 
Do not steal from your from from your neighbor. Yeah, do not uh, deal falsely to that with them. Do not lie to them. Do not swear falsely. Do not cheat them. Do not withhold wages uh, of your workers. Do not curse the deaf. Do not stumble the blind. Do not do injustice. Do not be partial or unfair to others, as you call it. So, from from this list, from verses nine to seventeen of Leviticus nineteen, you find basically that all these are examples of how the principle of acting out of love looks like. You act out of love in this way to your neighbor. Because, why? Because he is valuable in the eyes of God. There are needs to be met for him as well. Just as you are valuable and you have your needs, which God provides for you. Yes, this passage here in Leviticus 19 here did not say anything about hating the enemy, as the tradition of the elders taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But actually, Moses' law, in the same context in Leviticus 19, has something to say about a non-Hebrew or a non-Israelite. Within the very same context of uh, Leviticus 19 on the Great Commandment, and it's interesting you see in Leviticus 19 verses 33 to 34, where Moses' law says this. This is also in the context, same chapter, yeah, of the Great Commandment. Moses' law said this. He said, that, And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. So here Moses' law, after talking about the great commandment, Moses immediately turned to the, his attention on the stranger. He said that if a stranger is within the borders of Israel, any Israelite must not hate him, must not mistreat him, but treat him as if he is one of you. In other words, treat him like the same way you treat your neighbor as what the law says above. Don't harm him, don't lie to him, don't cheat him, you know, and so on and so forth. So an Israelite was to treat the stranger as if he was a fellow Israelite. In other words, treat him like a neighbor, which the great commandment demanded of every Israelite. But who was this stranger? You see, who was this stranger? Second uh, Samuel, chapter one, verse thirteen. Uh, this is the case of a Amalekite man uh, speaking to David. Second Samuel one, verse thirteen. The scripture says, "Then David said to the young man who told him, uh, Where are you from?'" And he answered, "I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite." The word alien in the English translation comes from the same Hebrew word for stranger in Leviticus nineteen the same word but what is interesting here is that this alien or this stranger say that he was an Amalekite an Amalekite was an enemy of Israel really? they were the arch enemies of Israel and the scripture tells us this arch enemy of Israel an Amalekite was a stranger as well so what it means is that when Israel was commanded in the Great Commandment to love one's neighbor as himself, and that neighbor included the stranger, and it means by implication, the stranger and enemy. That included that enemy. You see? Therefore, an Israelite under the Great Commandment must love his neighbor, which includes his enemy as himself. But why should Israel love the stranger or the enemy? Deuteronomy 10, Moses' law continues and tells us. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, verses 17 to 19. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says this. God says this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the stranger. Notice that? loves the stranger he continues giving him food and clothing therefore love the stranger for you were strangers in the land of egypt this was the reason why god loves the stranger because the stranger was valuable to god and he has needs to be met and god provided him with the food and clothing just like what jesus said in the sermon in the morning the sun rises for the good the bad and the ugly the rain falls on the same. See? So there are no difference in that sense. 
they are valuable in God's sight and God takes care of their needs. So this is where that the commandment is important. You see, loving the stranger for Israel was to remind, also in the context, it was to remind Israel, remember you were once strangers. You were once foreigners in Egypt. Enemies in Egypt. The Egyptians treated you like an enemy. So you were a stranger. Don't treat a stranger like that. So that means that Moses' law is te- was teaching that every Jew that not just the Jews, but everyone around him, Jewish or not Jewish, was a neighbor. Because the person is valuable in God's sight and he has needs. And the commandment commands him to act out of love. So this was to be his love for his neighbor under Moses' law. That's why that when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said to the Jews that they were to love and not hate their enemies, Jesus was not teaching something new, you know. He was simply repeating the principles of Moses' law under the great commandment. You see, because Moses' law's great commandment actually said the neighbor included the stranger, the Gentiles, the enemies, because God provided for the enemies as well, as well as, as the Jews. Because they needed those provisions to survive. God, that, uh, God, God has done that out of love because He values them. He values the Jews as much as He values the Gentiles. God demonstrated His love in that manner. So Israel must demonstrate in the same manner for the strangers. So let's go back to the, to the Good Samaritan story again in Luke 10. Okay, remember, remember that, uh, you know, that uh, the, the, the scribe asking them, who was my neighbor? That was in verse 29. And remember how Jesus was dealing with that? Jesus wasn't fo- focusing on the neighbor. He wasn't looking at the identity. He was focusing on agape love. And we know that agape love is the attitude in the, where we seek the highest good of another. When somebody is in need of help, we seek his highest good by acting out of love for him. So this is how the, 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 par- the parable of the Good Samaritan was to be applied, which was an application of the great commandment itself. You see? So, the Samaritan, whom the Jew in the parable, whom the Jew actually hated so much, he has done a lot of good for the, for the, for the injured victim, isn't it? The Jewish man there. he done a lot. Why? Because the man was in need of help. So, there was a need. So, the scribe has finally correctly applied the great commandment when he said to Jesus, he who showed mercy on him. You see? So the scribe finally understood. The way that he defined the neighbor in the great commandment, you know, was that it should not be the way that the Jewish traditions taught him, but rather in how God has actually taught him from the, Mo- from the law of Moses itself. The neighbor was everyone who is in need, not just the identity of his Jewish background. And a neighbor is the one whom he is to love, and the love is out of action. His love in action. To meet the needs of others. Because that person is valuable in God's sight. So this is how the great uh, commandment works. I thought that this is interesting, you know, I, I don't know about you, when I studied this, I thought that this is very exciting stuff that, that you know, you can learn from, uh, you know, from the Lord himself on, on this great commandment. So now we know that the, the great commandment was to love his neighbor, love, his strang- love the stranger as well. And all this, command- this, this commandment was based on God's example himself of how he loved the stranger, how he loved Israel with an everlasting love. So, and this teaches us again the concept of agape, where the love in the Old Testament of God was not something emotional. You know, not, it wasn't an affection or liking. Because we know that, well, uh, Israel had been very rebellious and they have been disobedient to, towards God all the time. They broke His covenant all the time, broke His law. But yet God continued to provide for them. His provision was His act of love because God continues to value Israel and that Israel had a need to be met and God met it out of love. So it teaches us this principle. So always remember this. The great commandment talks about value and needs. That's what the great commandment is about. 
So when the, when the commandment, the great commandment continues, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So to the Jews, to the Jews, uh, they, they are to love their neighbor as themselves. The Jewish person is, is reminded in this great commandment that when you love your neighbor as yourself, you first of all, you have to remember that you as a person yourself, as a Jewish person, you have value in the eyes of God. You see? And it's because of your values that God attends to your needs. God values you and that's why He attends to your needs out of love. And this is the thing, you see, it's a self-application thing. That once you understand how God loves you in this manner, that the great commandment expects the Jew to in turn love his neighbor in the same way. It wasn't a selfish thing, it was a reflective thinking, you know. That God loves me and therefore I love you. And this is, this is, this is where that the, the great commandment is applied. So very, very interesting. Uh, that's the, the foundation of Moses' law in the great commandment. Agape love in action. Agape love in response to somebody else's need of help. Whether he's friend or his foe, uh, it doesn't matter. Because friend or foe, he is valuable in God's sight. And hence, just as God loves him and how God loves me as a Jewish person, I will love my neighbor the same way. That is the original design of the great commandment itself, you know, which is taught by Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, which we have seen. You know, so it tallies up with, with the principle of love, not the way it's being read, but the principle. Today, is, okay, let's put the, the great commandment aside. Now let's go to our Lord's new commandment to the apostles in John 13, verse 34 to 35, where Jesus said to the disciples, He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. So now Jesus called his commandment here new. He said, a new commandment. A lot of people seem to think that, oh, this is the reason why the agape is a New, new Testament thing because Jesus himself said, a new commandment. It's not in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. That's why that it caused people to misunderstand, thinking that, Agape love is just in, in the New Testament because it's taught by Jesus, but not in the Old Testament. We have seen already, no. Old Testament teaches the same thing. So since the Old Testament has taught about agape love to every Jewish person, why did Jesus call his commandment new? New in what sense? I think this is where it's important that we ask ourselves a question. I think it's new in the sense, not because that, uh, not because that it has not been taught by Moses' law, but it was new to the disciples. Remember the disciples are Jewish? The Jews grew up with a certain kind of thinking. You see? They were taught, raised religiously and taught the tradition of the elders to love their neighbor and hate their enemies. So there has always been their thinking that this is what the great commandment was about, which Jesus corrected them during his ministry. So now for the disciples, they needed a new understanding of the great commandment. That's why Jesus said, this is a new commandment. Forget about what the traditional elders taught you. Remember, this is new to you. Not new to God, but new to you. Why? This is how it should be understood. And if you notice what Jesus said, you love one another as I have loved you. So again, that loving one another is taught by the great commandment. Like loving your neighbor, isn't it? But the second half, the second half of, the, of, the, of the commandment says that you know that uh, you as I have loved you. You love as I have loved you. So this provides the principles for the disciples to love one another. It tells you why do we need to love one another. It is because Jesus loves us. You see, we love as Christ has loved us. Remember the, the, the great commandment? Same principle, isn't it? Yeah? You love, you know, the, and a, Jew, a Jewish person loves his neighbor. It's because God loves him. As I have loved you, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Just as God loves the stranger, the enemy, you love him as yourself. In other words, yourself, that is not selfish thinking, is reflective thinking. That God loves me. So the great commandment patterns the same idea. My love for my neighbor is because God loves me. Jesus said in the new commandment, you love one another as I have loved you. Same principle of value and need. Just like the great commandment itself. So, the principles are the same. So,
So when Jesus demonstrated the principles of the great commandment and the new commandment by his own sacrifice of his life for us, isn't it? He died for us to, to demonstrate his love, to show how valuable we are in, uh, to, to God and to show how needful we are to God. We are in need of forgiveness of sin. We're in need of salvation. And Jesus, out of his great act of love, died to save us from condemnation. And this very thinking is reflected in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, where John writes there, he said, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John basically applies the new commandment and the great commandment together. The application is based on the same principles of value and needs. You see? You know, John said that, well, our sacrifice for one another is based on our love for one another. And our love for one another is based on the fact that Christ loved us. He died for us. So this is where it becomes so interesting in the study. As we come to an end here this morning, you know, that uh, we have seen here basically that how that God very contrary to the popular thinking of many people today, you know, that God has always been working on the same principles of agape love in the Old Testament as well as in the New. God's motive towards humanity in all ages has always been driven by His love. You know? And His expectations of Israel under Moses' law of the Great Commandment or under Christ the New Commandment is the same based on the same principles of love. The principle behind the, the great commandment to the Hebrew is to love his neighbor as himself is actually the same as our Lord's new commandment to love one another. It's the same commandment. There is no difference to it. It may read differently, but the principles behind they are the same. Value and needs. So in God's mind, the essence of the great commandment and Jesus' new commandment is agape love driven driven because of value and needs that each of us have in God's eyes not because of who we are the identity it's not because of the identity people usually love as you call it, love or like someone because of who they are you know family for example friends you know because of who they are therefore hating one's enemy becomes very natural to people isn't it that's why we hate people that are uh, that disagree with us or who don't like us or done harm to us you know, that we identify them as enemies. That is an identity-led kind of love, or hatred as you call it. That's not agape love. Agape love disregards identity. Agape love looks at value and looks at needs. How do we know that? Romans 5 verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates His love towards us while in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies of Christ. But God values us, and we have the need of salvation. Jesus died for it, and that is agape love. So as I end the sermon here this morning, the one thing I, I want us to remember from this morning's study is this, that Christian love is not based on identity, but value and needs. We love one another, you know, not just because we are brethren. We love one another because each of us are valuable and needful in God's sight. This is the very same attitude that we must have also towards those outside the church. We must learn to see the lost souls outside with value and needs. Needs of salvation. And hence that we should be motivated by love to reach out to them with the gospel just the way that God loves us. You know, this attitude will, will influence the way we evangelize others. The way we deal with others, one another as well in the church, whenever there are problems and disagreement. When we recognize the values and the value and needs of one another before God. We will no longer try to reach out to those whom we think that we like. You know, we tend to talk about the gospel with those people whom we like. You know, that uh, we think that, oh, he's a nasty person. I don't want to tell him about Jesus. That's identity-based approach. No, that's not agape love. Remember that. So our Lord's example in how he taught the gospel to the people shows is how agape love should be driven. Jesus saw the value and needs in every person that he met, in every person that he has dealt with. And Jesus preached to anybody and everybody regardless, even to those who hated him. Preachers and teachers of the gospel often talk about love, but sometimes we overlook the very essence in how, you know, 
in, in how that we ought to love one another and teach that as well. Jesus loves us, brethren. We need to learn to look at others, one another the same way and love one another the way that Jesus loves us. I think that this is the reason why that in some congregations that you have got these little gangs and groups, you know, different gangs and groups in, in, in the congregation. I don't know if you, you've seen before, uh, you know, that uh, I, I've seen it before in, in, in previous congregations, the bigger congregations especially, you know, that you have got like, uh, oh, the Americans one side and then you've got the, the, you know, the, the Africans one side and then the, you know, the, the Caribbeans one side and the Asian one side. So you, we've seen that. I think that it's, when, you, when you see this kind of things happening in, in, in churches, it tells you something is wrong with the attitude of love. You see, that in the church, everyone is valuable and everyone needs God. And everyone needed to be loved the way that God loves us. It's not just those who are of our gang and group. No, it doesn't work like that. Remember in 2020, 2022 this year, our team for the congregation is to be rooted and grounded in love. And what this means is that we need to learn to recognize that every one of us, each one of us in the church and outside the church are precious in God's sight. And this is how that brethren, internally as a church today, we can be united and work and move together as one in Christ. Where no one will be excluded from the love and care of the brethren. We are here because we value and see the need of one another and we love one another. I want to close with Paul's words in Galatians 3 uh, verses 27 to 29 where Paul said this, he said that for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are all one in Christ, brethren, and let us love one another as Christ has loved us and love our neighbors as ourselves. There are no difference. Let us always recognize that. Thank you.